Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen, episode 27, Ancient Gods, Mythical Creatures, The End Times, and Genesis chapter 6. There's some very uh, cool stuff that I have found in uh, three different books of the Bible that we're going to discuss today. It is basically talking about what happened before Noah's flood. So let's start in Genesis 6, 1. It says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth. When we look at this verse, verse 4, there were giants in the earth, and also after that, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, their children became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Sons of God here is clearly talking about angels. I wanted to bring up uh, one of the verses where you first hear about the sons of God, one of the oldest books of the Bible, or the oldest book of the Bible, Job, chapter 38, 7. It says in verse 6, Whereupon are the foundations thereof of the earth fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Then verse 7, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The first mention of sons of God, and this is actually a principle in understanding the Bible, is that uh, the principle of first mention is when a phrase or a specific word is used for the first time, it sets the standard for what that phrase means. So when it speaks about the sons of God in the beginning of the creation of the earth, when they saw what God did, they shouted for joy. It was talking about the angels that God had made. You'll find elsewhere in scripture that the stars of heaven are referred to as the morning stars are also describing angels. So it's very clear that this is a way that God speaks about his angels as the sons of God. You will hear some people will tell you that this verse in Genesis chapter 6 is referring to just human beings who followed after God and saw other human beings who didn't follow after God and had children by them. And that is clearly not what this is talking about because nowhere else in Scripture does it say that two human beings having children become men of old, men of renown, who are spoken about all over the earth and giants. So there is common theme in history, the Hebrew tradition, mythology, of a race of giants. Uh, and we're talking about more than just the Philistines who were tall human beings, like, you know, eight, nine foot tall. So there is a lot packed into this verse. But I'm going to propose something to you and then prove it to you here in, with the, the Bible. And I want you to just open your mind and think about it for a second. Verse 2, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. This would not be a new thing if it was just humans. 
that it would not be something to note in the scripture here. Oh, wow. For, for the first time, the sons of God saw the daughters of men were pretty. No, it's pretty much happened since Eve, right? And then the second part of verse two, it says, and they took them wives of all which they chose, kind of implying that the women could not resist them. Now, this is an implication. I'm reading into it a little bit. So this is just my opinion on that. But it seems like these are abnormal men, the sons of God. Then you look at verse four and it says there were giants in the earth in those days. And after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they had children, which became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. People all over the world knew who these people were. Why? Think about that for a second. What that means. Angels saw human women, took them, impregnated them, had children. When you have half supernatural DNA and half human DNA, what is the result? I believe that the mythology of the old times, that uh, there were uh, many Roman gods, you know, Mercury and Zeus and Hercules, etc. And I believe that there is a certain amount of truth to those. All of the ancient gods stem from this period of time, right before God destroyed the earth with the flood, where you had half angelic beings that were doing what humans would view as miracles. But angels, it just came naturally to them, controlling elements of the earth, fire, wind, water, plants, animals, being able to maybe move fast or potentially lifting things that are inhumanly strong, like Hercules. I believe all of these ancient gods of, of the barbaric worlds of the past had an element of truth to them that they were real people that were the children of these angels and the daughters of men. And I think that that is part of the reason that God destroyed the earth. It was a perversion. Jude 1 verse 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And then verse 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. This is the idea that they left the natural order of things. They left what they were created for. They left their first estate and did something dark and horrible wrong against their character. And God has changed them and is going to judge them on the great day of judgment. So then the question is, who are these angels in the New Testament referring to? Because it is referenced again in 2 Peter chapter 2. In verse 1, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. 
and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now the long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. This is the same reference, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, as the reference in Jude that refers to the angels that left their first estate. Then this one ties it into Genesis, where the very next verse says, God did not spare the old world, but saved Noah. Genesis chapter 6 is where these sons of God slept with the daughters of women, or the daughters of men, and had children who were great men of renown and giants. The Bible actually backs it up when you tie it all together, that a segment of the angelic population left heaven, turned their back on what they were designed for, and perverted their purpose, and slept with another species, with human beings, and had weird hybrids. And I think that these are clearly the ancient gods that people began to talk about and revere and maybe even worship. Now, God destroyed everyone except for Noah and his family. So Noah and his family may have seen these people, these superhumans, and then told the stories, the tales to their grandchildren. And as they spread across the earth, the different communities, the different cultures formed in Asia and Africa and Europe, and all these people built their own fables and lore around the true stories of these renowned men and women, the children of these angels. It's a very cool concept, if you think about it, that maybe some of these mythologies have a basis in truth. But here's another kind of scary thing, if you think about it. You look at the angels as they're described in the book of Revelations. These are powerful, strange creatures with different faces, multiple wings, strange bodies, legs that are like wheels within wheels and just all kinds of strange descriptions in the Bible about what these angels are. Clearly supernatural, angelic, powerful other beings, not human, obviously. For them, that would explain why the women gave themselves up to them if they had no power to fight them, right? If these angelic beings said, I want you to that woman, Basically, they could have raped them or maybe they seduced them. I, I don't know. But that would explain verse two in Genesis chapter six, verse two, where it said they took whichever women they chose. So here's something else to think about. If their sin was such a perversion, you know, having sex with another species, that God actually chained them in hell to await the end times where they will be tried and judged by God. There's a unique word for hell there in 2 Peter verse 2. When it says you put them in hell, it's the only place that the word Tartarus is used. Tartarus is the bottomless pit, which is a separate place in hell. Theologically, it, the, the implications of this are huge. There's so much packed into those two verses in Genesis chapter 6. It's amazing. And I love to think about it. It's very cool because it explains a lot of human mythology 
over the different cultures and over the last several thousand years as people have come up with these amazing stories of, of the different gods and things. Um, maybe even uh, maybe even the Egyptian gods and stuff. Maybe some of them came from this. It's, it's important to remember that, first of all, they were merely human with angelic powers. Still not gods, because God created the angels. So a perversion of the two. But they lived amongst people, and people saw what they did. I like to think of, uh, you know, if you watch stories like uh, the Hobbit or, or, you know, read books about magic and things, elves, right? The, the lore of elves is huge and it's about how elves control nature, um, how they can actually make the wind move or ride on the wind or, or make the trees grow a certain way so that they have houses ready grown for them and control the water so that the water can become like horses and, and, and they can ride it and just all kinds of weird mythology, right? But if you look in the Bible in the Old Testament, um, and maybe some in the New Testament, I'd have to I'd have to search for it. But God gives angels power over nature. The Bible talks about angels that hold the river Euphrates. The Bible talks about angels that hold angels that hold the four corners of the wind. So it is quite possible that if those creatures had children of human beings, that you would have some strange-looking humans that could control nature. So some of that mythology could be based in fact. Here's another thing to think about. What if these angels willing to sleep with another species decided to get into bestiality? What if an angel had sex with a horse and that horse gave birth to a centaur or a goat or some giant fish and now there's a mermaid, a half fish, half human? I have no idea how those things would work. And sorry, it wouldn't be half human. It would be half angel, right? I'm just putting out the idea that maybe some of these mythologies have some sort of basis in truth. And you have to remember that anyone who made up the stories had never seen these ancient gods or creatures in real life. They would have only heard about it from Noah. Noah and his kids may have seen these things. Then God destroyed them all in the flood. Everyone died except for Noah and his family. Then his kids had kids, and they, as they grew up, they told them the stories about what the world was like before the flood, right? Then those kids go out and have kids and, and build cities and such and begin to tell the stories that they heard from their great-grandpa. And maybe somebody was a writer and decided to write the stories down and embellished it and made it a little bit different. And then these cultures developed these fables and lore about certain types of creatures, then when Noah and his kids died who had actually seen these things, there was no one left. So now we just have ancient fables and stories with no way to verify it. Not a single person alive can say they ever saw it. That is how I believe these things came about. Now, there is no question, according to the scripture, that these angels are being punished that they did leave their first estate. They did something so horrible. God saw it as an abomination. And these are the only angels. I mean, there's demons out there that do things all the time, right? But these are the only angels that God has chained in hell in a place called Tartarus. And they are awaiting judgment at the end. God is not releasing them to continue doing bad things, which means they've done something really super bad. They're not just evil demons that cause wars and murder people, right? So what's worse than that? Well, 
God says the only sin in the Bible that is different than other sins is sexual sin. That could explain why God took these angels and immediately, bam, took them away, chained them up and put them in hell and was like, no, you're getting punished right now. Now, the question is, why is this even important? Why am I talking about this? Number one, we need to read the Bible for what it says. You, you cannot dismiss things merely because you don't understand them or you don't like where it goes. When the Bible says something, if you believe the Bible is God's word, you have to believe it all. So to dismiss Genesis 6 as, oh, that's just talking about uh, human beings having sex with other human beings. How is that different than the rest of all time? Why would that be listed there? And then why would this particular instance give birth to giants and men of renown that the whole world knows about? And then why would Jude 1.6 specifically talk about angels who left their first estate that then Second Peter talks about these angels that left their first estate during the time of Noah being bound for judgment. They, these are all tied together, and it was clearly understood by Paul, an apostle of God, and by Jude, that these angels were the ones talking, talking about the sons of God in Genesis 6-4. So they have obviously given birth to something supernatural. And then my thought process on that is that that is where the fables of ancient gods and mythical creatures have come from. God talks about Noah's flood, talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, and the end times, if you read the context of Jude 1, 6, 2 Peter 2, 4, and Genesis 6, 4. It ties all of those stories together. Noah's flood with the angels doing evil things sexually, Sodom and Gomorrah destroying the city, the people doing evil things sexually, the end times will be like the days of Noah, people committing fornication and, and doing evil things sexually, and then being judged in a seven-year tribulation. Common theme. So we need to learn from it. And that's the second point. It's not only important just to understand what the Bible says, but it's also important to take lessons from it. I want you to look at Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9. It says, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. In the end times, the Bible teaches that we will have spiritual beings and magical things being done. And I say that because that's the common way that humans perceive angels as magical creatures. They can appear in a twinkling of an eye. They can disappear. They can change form. They can control the weather. They can do God knows what else. So I view that from the human perspective as magical, even though I know it's supernatural, right? So in Acts 2, verse 17, and then through verse 21, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here's the good side of it. God says, hey, your Christians, your young children, and even the old ones will do amazing wonders. So I liken that to uh, 
in Acts. Uh, this is exactly what it was referring to when they spoke in tongues. They spoke in foreign languages that they had not studied, and the people from those countries heard in their own tongue the word of God, even though Paul and the other apostles were speaking to their knowledge normally in Greek or Hebrew or whatever language they were speaking. But these people heard it in their own mother language. Okay, so that's what tongues is. And that's the context of Acts 2.17. He is saying, I this promise from God that there will be wonders done is happening today. That is when the flames appeared in the upper room where the disciples were sitting, went around the room and settled over the head of each of the apostles, and then they spoke in tongues. So he's saying this day is the day of this time, right? The end time is here. You are going to see visions. There will be miracles done. People will be healed. And all the things that the apostles did, that the disciples did, the 11 that were left, and then Paul. And then, if you look at the context of all that, which is Joel 2, 28 through 32, it is clearly speaking about the tribulation time. So what else happens in the tribulation time? Well, the Bible says the Antichrist and the beast and the prophet, the unholy trinity, are going to do miracles and fire will come out of their mouth to consume their enemies and they will make statues to begin prophesying and start speaking amongst the people and they will do miracles and signs and wonders and all kinds of things where people will worship them. And that's what I think happened in Genesis 6. I think these angels had offspring with the women and they had human beings with angelic powers and people began to worship them and follow them and idolize them. And I think that will happen in the end times. There is nothing new under the sun. The Bible says in Acts 2 that that was the start of the end times, 2,000 years ago, right? So it's crazy. In Matthew and the book of Daniel and Revelations, you study that and you will see that the end times, the closer we get, the more we will see these things, the signs of the times. That's why this is important. It is important to know that angels or demons, if they follow Satan, same creatures, just different purposes, right? So the angels that follow Satan are going to do demonic things to take you away from God. They're going to kill people. They're going to do miracles. They might appear and heal people just to get the, the people to turn away from God and to worship them or to worship the Antichrist. And then you'll have Christians who are going around and prophesying, seeing visions, dreaming dreams, telling people the future. There are going to be more and more miracles, more and more spiritual sightings, more and more people open to spiritual things because they've seen ghosts or they've seen miracles done in front of their eyes or they've had things done for them that is incomprehensible and they have begun to worship false gods or the Antichrist or the beast or the prophet. So what will we do and what will we teach our children? Do we want them to be led astray by that? No, of course not. So here's what we need to take away from all of this is whatever we see is not new under the sun. It has happened before and God judged it very harshly. Do not let you or your children be taken away by false prophets or false spirits or false gods. Here's the biggest thing to take away from all this. 1 John 4, 1 through 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, test the spirits, whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 
Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world, the spirit of the Antichrist, meaning this idea of pulling people away from Christ, that we are we are seeing false prophets and people telling lies. That is the spirit of Antichrist. He's not saying 2,000 years ago that the Antichrist was already there. Although you could maybe argue, you know, Satan was in the world, so yeah, he was, but... And then verse 4, 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you live closer to that tribulation period, or especially during the the first three and a half years of peace where the Antichrist is rising to power and, and consolidating the one world religion and, the, and all that, you may see miracles done by false prophets. You may see human beings who are inhabited by evil spirits doing amazing, wonderful things to try and get you to follow them. Anytime something spiritual, supernatural happens to you, whether it be by a human or an obvious angel, remember that the test is to ask that being, do you confess that Jesus Christ is God and came in the flesh, that he was born of a virgin, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose again on the third day because he is God and he is alive today? Who do you believe Jesus Christ is, is the question to remember. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he came in the flesh? Because every evil spirit will not be able to answer that. Or they'll have to answer it, no, they don't believe it. If that spirit, that angel, or that person confesses to you that yes, Jesus Christ is God, he came in the flesh, then you know they are of God and you can trust them. If not, run. Get as far away from them as you can. Do not trust them because they are from the Antichrist. They are from the devil. Now remember, God says you have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you, Jesus Christ, than he that is in the world, the devil. So we have nothing to fear regarding all of this. So not only is Genesis chapter 6 a very unique, interesting, fascinating point of doctrine, that second reason on why we need to, to learn these things is because it will happen again. And at some point in the future, you or your children or someone you know may meet an angel or a spiritual being that does something supernatural and you must not be led astray by that. Because more often than not, you're going to find that that is from the Antichrist. It is the spirit of Antichrist, not the spirit of God. And you cannot be led astray. You cannot worship or, or follow or idolize those people or those spirits. I enjoyed doing this one. I hope you guys learned a little bit today. And until next time, God bless you all.